0: The work of the Holy Spirit in counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. What a fun week this will be as we get to interview Dr. John Street. Dr. Street is a professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University and also the Masters Seminary. He is chairman of our board here at ACBC. He is obviously a member, uh, a fellow that serves uh, with ACBC as well. He's been doing that for many years. He's married to Janie. He has four children and six grandchildren, and I'm going to have to keep him on topic talking about the Holy Spirit. He enjoys to talk about his children and grandchildren. Uh, I love this man. I'm so grateful for him uh, in his leadership in ACBC. He helps to keep me on track in my role. And so, Dr. Street, I'm so glad that we were able to sit down and have this discussion, very important discussion about the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you, Dr. Johnson or Dale, as I love to call you. That's
0: right. That's right. So, Dr. Street, this is an important discussion. And I think some people will hear this and say, we've heard this before. I think this is a, a critical discussion that we need to revisit consistently. And part of that has to do with, even since the beginning of the biblical counseling movement, we have recognized that, that one of the key issues that we have dismissed in our culture at large, particularly the Christian culture, when we approach the, the issue of counseling, we often dismiss the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. We, we uh, allow other things to take His role in place in secular systems as opposed to allowing Him to do the work uh, that the Scriptures tell us He will do in changing people, making them new, illuminating, and so on and so forth. And, and we have to recover that. We have to be consistent and solid. Even as we move forward uh, as a movement, we have to keep the main things, the main things. And this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit is is among uh, our key tenets. So let's start with this question I think is important. Why is the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the counselor and the counselee so important to biblical counseling?
1: Wow, this is a great question and something that, as you said, we've often neglected. And in fact, this kind of plays into something that you just recently did in publishing a book about the professionalization of counseling. Um, and that was such an important book. You gave me an opportunity to read an advanced copy of that and, um, give an endorsement of it. And it it was so, such an important book because as the counseling movement grows and it becomes more and more influential and it is growing expeditiously Mm -hmm. around the world Mm -hmm. as that is happening, um, there is a tendency among many people to equate us with everything else that's going on in the psychotherapeutic and counseling world whether it's pagan secular or christian Um, when in reality what we're doing is decisively and radically different than what's going on out there in the world we are modeling everything that we know about scripture after the way in which jesus and the apostles set up the new Testament church and how counseling is done under the authority of the of the church. Well, with the professionalization of counseling that has occurred in the last 150 years, uh, that's been one of the most destructive things that have happened in regards to counseling, because basically what it's done is it's reduced counseling to a set of techniques and methodology. It is something that if you follow these procedures, if you follow this technique, if you follow the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the APA, and you follow what they say is the real problem here, then you can get your problem solved. And most counselors, whether they're secular or Christian or even biblical for that matter, will acknowledge to you that things are not that simple. Mm. They aren't. And this is where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in, um, because there have been times, uh, Dale, and probably you've experienced this in your own counseling ministry, but I certainly have had probably an unusual amount of times where, you know, I have done my very, very best to counsel someone uh, from the word of God and uh, give them caring, loving, godly counsel. And when I finished with those sessions, I've walked out and thought to myself, my goodness, how can anybody resist what I just told them? Mm-hmm. I am mean, after all, this is God's authoritative word. They claim to be a Christian. They should be following this, that I should be able to see radical changes in their life. And there's no changes. Mm-hmm. It, nothing changes. Uh, and that counseling session was dramatic. It was insightful. It was incredibly loaded with good biblical truth, exactly what they needed to do in order to address their problems, how they needed to deal with their heart issues. And then as a result of that, their attitudes and behaviors. Um, and, and they walk away from it and and they don't do deal with it. And then there have been other occasions where in counseling, um, at the end of it, I've thought to myself, these poor people, they have the worst counselor on the planet. I mean, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. And I could have done that better. And I'm thinking about all the ways in which I failed them. And God in through the Holy spirit radically changes their life. Mm -hmm. It just radically changes their life. And I'm going, wait a minute. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. Biblical counseling does not rely upon technique or methodology. Now, there are certain things that we need to do and we need to do them properly and all of that's key, but that doesn't ultimately change anyone. Yeah. You you can't do that. You can't change anybody. Only the spirit of God can truly transform a person on a core level. And that's where sometimes the spirit is at work in you as a counselor, and sometimes the spirit is at work in your counselee. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is this, I'm going to use this advisedly, magical time where the spirit is at work at both, Mm -hmm. unusual time where the spirit is at work in both of you and radical things happen, changes occur. I'm reminded in John chapter three, where Jesus is confronted by Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew that he was a rabbi that came from God and he, uh, you've come from God. He says for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with you. And that was kind of obvious, Mm -hmm. but Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he went on and said to him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the spirit of the water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Now I think the water and spirit is a, um, a reference primarily to physical birth and then spiritual birth, not just physical birth because Nicodemus, because he was a Jew being physically born, thought he was naturally a part of the kingdom of God. Everybody knows about a mother's water breaking and being born. And the spirit, uh, the, the spirit is key. But then he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he refers to that later on in verse eight. He says, The wind blows where it wishes. The implication is is that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God works where he wishes in the life of the counselee. So, no amount of technique or methodology or procedural preciseness, or there's not three or four verses that are just going to be the big transforming thing that happens. Our responsibility as counselors is be faithful to the word of God, deliver the goods, and then we have to leave it up to the spirit of God and the wind's going to blow where it's going to blow.
0: That's right, man. And that's comforting to me as a counselor to know that uh, I don't have the manipulative words to uh, change the heart of a person. And that is the Lord's business. My call is to be faithful. Now we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, and rightfully so. We shouldn't neglect the idea of the work of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the counselee and, and our hope as counselors that God will do his work as the change agent in the hearts of people. But sometimes we forget to think about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, on the person who's in the counseling chair. So, so talk about that for a moment. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the process of biblical interpretation?
1: That's a great question because this is an area where, and in fact, during our conference this year, I spoke on this in much more detail, but this is an area where I think, um, what is commonly referred to as the doctrine of illumination mm-hmm. is so misused because I think a lot of people believe that a person who is genuinely a Christian, where the Holy Spirit and dwells them, their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that they sort of have an edge on everybody else when it comes to understanding the the biblical text. And that is not what the illumination of the Spirit really means. And And in fact, I know a lot of biblical counselors who use that as an excuse to not have to study the Bible. I don't have to study the Bible. I'm I'm going to rely upon the Holy Spirit. I go to the Bible. I'm going to open the Bible, go to a particular passage, and the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what that means. Now, the Bible was written in very understandable way. Now, it doesn't mean that all the Bible is equally understandable. Sometimes it takes a lot of study to understand more complicated passages, but it was written in a very understandable way in with linguistic format, and God has given a man the acuity. To be able to read the Bible, understand what's going on. I have secular scholars on my office shelf who are experts in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and they can go into detail and explain to me exactly what the text is saying. And they're often better at understanding what the actual text is saying than many Christians. Many Christians bring a lot of biases or maybe false things that they've heard about the text to that particular text. And here are these secular scholars, they don't believe it, mm-hmm. but they're just telling you what, what the text is saying. All right? Now, how is that possible? if the doctrine of illumination means that somehow a person has an, addi- an additional I.Q mm-hmm. into the meaning of the text. That, that's not what the doctrine of the illumination means when Jesus said farewell to his disciples. And he knew he was going to leave them on Thursday night of Passion Week when he's giving them last minute instructions before he goes to the cross, dies, and then is resurrected and ascended back to heaven. Before that happens, he says uh, to them uh, that he was going to send the spirit of truth to them. And he said, he will guide you into all truth. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, that's usually a text that is used to speak about Everybody who is a Christian, the spirit will guide you in all truth. But when you study that contextually, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, he's saying to the disciples that there's more post-death and resurrection revelation to come. That's mm-hmm. what he's saying. I'm going to send this truth. In other words, the canon wasn't closed. Mm-hmm. That That's his argument. The canon wasn't closed. There were still more to come after he returned to heaven. And so he's going to send them the spirit to guide them in all truth. All truth that was not something that was given to every Christian. It was given to the disciples so that they knew what was going on. And then the other classic text that's used to talk about that is First Corinthians chapter two. and in First Corinthians chapter two, in the overall argument of that chapter, the Apostle Paul is acu- actually arguing. For his apostleship and the fact that the Corinthians should follow his admonition because he is an apostle, even though he considers himself to be the least of the apostles. And in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 2, he talks about I, speaking of himself, and you, that is, you, Corinthian believers, I, you, I, you, I, you, all the way down through verse 5. And then all of a sudden in verse 6, he switches to third person plural, we. Yet we, Do speak among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. We speak God's wisdom. He says in verse seven, verse 10, he says, for to us, God revealed through the spirit, uh, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths. And then later on, he says, now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit from God that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, That's used as proof text for the doctrine of illumination that God gives us a special insight into the scriptures. But in context here, the we is not we Christians, it's we apostles. How do we know that? Because he continues his argument all the way down into chapter four and verse nine, when he says, for, I think that God has exhibited us apostles Last of all, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to man, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. What go, What's going on is the doctrine of illumination is used as an excuse not to do good hermeneutics and good Bible study. That's the problem. And when we put ours as Christians, put ourselves in the position of Paul and the apostles. This is called stolen valor. Mm-hmm. It, it's stolen valor of the authority of an apostle having received divine truth. Now, can you argue the fact that the spirit of God works in a person's life and enlivens their beliefs so that they can, when they read the Bible, they are hearing God's voice, so to speak. The answer is yes. Um, is that the doctrine of illumination? Yes, that's what I think it is. Because secular people can read the Bible and totally deny it. But the believer, through the spirit's illumination, reads it with faith. That is, with belief. It has a binding quality on their life. So I, I use this usually at the beginning of my hermeneutics class to say, listen, if you're the type of person who's a lazy expositor of the Bible, You're a lazy interpreter of the scripture. You're going to make a lousy biblical counselor. In fact, you're not a biblical counselor. You're working on your own hunches. Mm -hmm. All right. You're not using biblical truth to the the degree that you don't use biblical truth is the degree that which the authority of your counsel will be undermined. Mm -hmm. You've got to know what God is really saying and study it within context. Every one of my students know I use that little adage. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Mm-hmm. All right. You've got to understand the text within context.
0: And that's so important. And I think we need to be consistently grounded in this area. We as counselors have a lot of work to do as it relates to the scripture, because we know the Bible teaches us that it's the truth that sets people free. It's the truth of God that by his divine power that destroys strongholds in the lives of people uh, not our own ingenuity. And, and that's a critical piece of the puzzle. Let's let's yes. finish with a brief uh, answer to this question because we still need to ask it is, so, so why is the Holy Spirit so important to the timing of sanctification and change in the counselee?
1: Well, because there is not going to be any genuine change on a heart level or at a depth until the Holy Spirit is at work. That's right. It's not going to happen. Um, a person can give all the best counsel on the planet. If the Holy Spirit is not at work in the person that you're counseling, then it's not the right time for change. I've had people walk out of counseling and I, I don't see them until two or three years later. And they will say to me, um, you know, when you remember the last time we were in counseling, I say, Yeah. Uh, do you know that I was upset at you and I was mad at you? And I said, "I well, I had a pretty good idea. <laughs> and then they said, but I kept hearing your voice saying this and this, my conscience. And I want to let you know, I really have repented. I've dealt with that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, why is that? Because it was the Holy Spirit's perfect timing mm-hmm. to bring about the change. Mm-hmm. They had more things they needed to learn mm-hmm. before there was real change there. So I trust the Lord, I trust what he's doing. We can't force these things as counselors.
0: Man, it's so important for us not to be lazy counselors, but yet to understand that it is the work of the spirit. All that in and of itself is so comforting to me as a counselor, and I pray for our listeners that this will be comforting to you. This is a a doctrine that we have to defend, defend well, and not just defend intellectually, but practice that we trust the work of the spirit of God to do his work in the lives of people. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, today on the podcast, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and for many of you, you're sitting out there, you're listening, you're intrigued by the things that we talked about today. And and maybe you're not one of our certified counselors. Can I encourage you uh, to go through one of our trainings? We have 70 uh, plus training centers throughout the United States of America. And in our fundamentals training, uh, our phase one training, we teach this idea, the work of the Holy Spirit in counseling. It is absolutely fundamental to what we do, the way that we think, how we understand the scriptures and the work that God does in the hearts of people. So can I encourage you to be a part of our training to pursue excellence in uh, certification in biblical counseling? You can find out about our training centers and the training that we do throughout the U.S. at our website, biblicalcounseling.com.